you have your Bibles or your phone or your bulletin with you, would you please stand for the reading of God's Word? Today we are in Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 20. Remember, brothers and sisters, this is the very Word of God. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child, and all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all of these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of God stands forever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. I think you could probably agree that the greatest event in all of human history is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And right next to that would stand the incarnation of Jesus Christ, right? Because you can't really have one without the other. And so the whole foundation of the story of redemptive history rests on Jesus' incarnation, death, and resurrection. And so here we are. We finally made it to the incarnation. All of this time of anticipating through the prophets, even through the book of Judges, we finally made it. And our Messiah King mounts on his warrior steed and he thunders through the marbled and granite palaces of Rome and Constantinople and Alexandria and he foils the princes and the strong men and the despots and the deranged dictators of the world and sets the government right, finally. And the Lord sits on his throne in Jerusalem and his people enjoy peace and prosperity. Yes. Hmm. No. Isn't it interesting how the human heart has been yearning for the first advent to be like the second advent? And that's not the way it happened. This setting that we find ourselves in is, just doesn't quite square up. Where, where are we? We're in a field where you can't even get a pin on your GPS for. And this cast of characters that is surrounding this great event. People who seem to find themselves alone in their circumstances. Like Mary thought she was alone and suddenly there was a created being with her and she said, you're, he said, you're not only not alone, but 
you're actually with child. And this child is not from the seed of a human being, for we're breaking the generation of Adam's sin. This child is conceived by the Holy Spirit and will be sinless. Joseph thought he was alone. Awkward situation. So he came up with a plan to extract himself from his awkwardness and save face. He suddenly found himself accompanied by a created being who said, No, we're not going with your plan. We're going to go with God's plan. You are not alone. Oh, now some of you may be saying, oh, Robbie, you don't understand. I've got to figure all this out without him. Or I've got to go through this without her. Or I've got to put the pieces of my life together without them. And, you know, I know some of you are anticipating maybe a home going and you already feel the weight of the ripping and the, and the grief that may be accompanied by that. But even in all of those things, you are not alone. The shepherds thought they were alone in the you know, loneliness of their slumber, sleeping after a hard day's work of dirty labor, and, and all of a sudden, they're not alone. And that's where we begin. Shall we jump in? Go with me now to uh, verse 8. Luke chapter 2, verse 8. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. One historian said that you can't really know something fully until you have a metaphor to perceive it. And so it's interesting, isn't it, that the Lord in his redemptive work gave us metaphors to understand more fully who he is and who we are. So these shepherds, the lowest of the lows, peasants that have no skill to do other things in the labor pool, and, as a matter of fact, as the sons of a family grew older, they were able to accept more responsibility in the family, and they would do plowing and farming and harvesting. And the shepherding would be passed down to the younger sons until finally the baby of the family became the family shepherd. Do you remember when David's father, Jesse, was standing in front of Samuel, and Samuel was trying to anoint the next king of Israel and Samuel says to Jesse are these all your sons and Jesse says um, well actually there is one other one but he's the baby of the family and he's watching the sheep you see shepherds are those who have no other skill or they're young boys and these are the shepherds then that find themselves out in the field at night and it's also important to understand that we are at night. Why is that important? Because so many things of God's redemptive work in your life happen in the night of life. Like uh, the fun way of saying this would be if you're a contestant on the $25,000 pyramid and you're the person that's giving you the clues says, Israel released from the bondage of Egypt. Nicodemus finding out about how to be born again. Um, shepherds being visited by angels. And you would say, redemptive things that happen at night. And then you would win $25,000. <laughs> 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 
So when you find yourself in the night of life, are you more overwhelmed by the fact that it's confusing and frustrating and discouraging? Or do you stop and relish the fact that even in this night of life, God is working out his redemptive purposes in your life. Verse 9, And an angel of the Lord appeared to them. The word there implies that suddenly, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. Now, Hollywood wouldn't want us to think that this is a radiant, blinding light coming from the uppermost part of the cosmos and the shepherds can't see anything. And you know what? That may very well be. But the word here is actually a verb form for the noun lamp. So you could say the light was lamping around them. But you know what? It doesn't make any difference. If you're out in the middle of nowhere at night and suddenly you can see things by light that's unexpected, that's going to be an issue. And so, of course, they were filled with fear. Verse 10, And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news. And this is the word euangelion. It's where we get the word evangelism. You see, these angels were being evangelists to the shepherd. This is not just good news, but it's good news of great joy. And it won't just be for you shepherds, the lowest of the low in society, but it will be for all the people. Verse 11, for unto you was born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this is where Isaiah the prophet does the mic drop. For Isaiah says in chapter 9, verse 6, for unto you a child is born, a son is given. And you are reading the fulfillment of this prophecy in this passage. But there's something a lot more going on in this verse. First, this child that's going to be born is going to be born in the city of David. David is the right line. We've been waiting for the Redeemer to come from the lineage of David. That's what we've been waiting for. This baby is born in the right line, and he's in the city of David. He's born in the right place and in the right line. But now we have these three names. He's a Savior, he's a Christ, and he's a Lord. Why are those important? Why all of a sudden do we have Christos Kyrios, Christ the Lord? Why? Because this angel knows this baby was known by another name. Go with me now back to the Old Testament, where at least four times Hagar, Abraham, Moses, Joshua, an angel appears before these people and speaks to them and says in a very peculiar fashion things that are on behalf of Yahweh, God himself. An angel speaking as though he had the authority to speak on behalf of Yahweh. And you know what this angel says? This angel says, you are standing on holy ground. Take your shoes off. Well, we don't worship angels. Why would this angel say, because you are standing in front of me, you're standing on holy ground. And then this angel goes on to tell the person that he's talking to that I am going to make sure that what's going to happen in your life next is going to happen on behalf of Yahweh. And then when you study the language, you realize that this angel actually is a part of Yahweh. That this angel actually not only speaks on behalf of Yahweh, but is as holy as Yahweh. 
And let's go to one example, just one. Joshua 5, verse 13. Now, when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and he saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. Joshua went up to him and asked, Are you for us or for our enemies? Neither, he said. But as commander of the army of the Lord, and there the word is Yahweh, I have come. Then Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence and asked him, What message does my Lord Adonai have for his servant? And the commander of the Lord's army, again, there's the word Yahweh, the commander of the Lord's army replied, take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. And two verses later, the angel says to Joshua, and I will deliver your enemies into your hands. Who is this? This is the pre-incarnate appearance of the second person of the Godhead in the Old Testament. This is the Old Testament angel of the New Testament baby that we just read about a few minutes. This is not an angel of the Lord. This is the angel of the Lord. And could it be that the angel that is announcing to these shepherds knows exactly who this person is? Could it be that that angel was there for these conversations when the angel of the Lord had these conversations? Could it be that he also, this angel talking to the shepherds, is stunned by what is happening in redemptive history right now. Because this angel says, never again will this infant be called the angel of the Lord. From now on, this angel will be called Savior, Christ the Lord. Savior, the one who's going to save his people from their sins, who will atone for us. He will bring atonement. Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one. He will be our deliverer. Lord, our Lord. He will be divine. This baby is no longer called the angel of the Lord. This is our divine atoning deliverer. What a moment. Verse 12. And this will be a sign to you you will find this Lamb of God not clothed or wrapped in wool. You will find this Lamb of God in rags and lying in a manger. Now, it could be that these shepherds were watching um, lambs destined for sacrifice because shepherds not only had the staff, they also had a rod. And on the end of the rod was a coloring agent. And as the lambs would process before the shepherd, every tenth lamb would be um, hit with this rod, with this coloring agent, and this coloring agent would go onto the wool of the lamb, and that lamb would be designated for the sacrificial system. There's also, some scholars say, the first animal that was sacrificed after Adam and Eve to give them covering was a lamb. This lamb of God is lying in a feeding trough, now, biblical archaeologists tell us they're kind of like maybe two kinds of mangers. Not the little wooden ones that we have, you know, we see all the time. There's uh, one where there's kind of a recessed area in the floor, outside or inside a structure. And if the people are poorer, there may be a manger recessed in the floor in the, in, in the shelter, and then there's a wooden mezzanine where the family resides. And the food would go in there. Or if you're, you have more wealth, 
you could have a manger carved into a stone like a hearth or into the wall and the sheep or the animals would eat from there but this lamb is lying in this feeding trough because this is the bread of heaven for the bread of heaven the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world well, this is the one upon whom we will be nourished and the manger really isn't too remote from us for by faith every Sunday we come to our manger where by faith we are nourished by the bread of heaven but like he will never be called the angel of the Lord again uh, we don't call this a manger we call this the Lord's table but here we feast Three, thirteen, and suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host and here the word host is actually literally the word army and we already talked about the angel of the Lord speaking as commander of Yahweh's army and here's the word again in verse 13 army and so off stage in the wings could it be that this army is watching this conversation and at this point they simply can't stand it any longer and they burst through the veil of that which is unseen and they say doxa doxa which is what we get the word doxology from glory glory to God in the highest and they're watching this redemptive act unfold on behalf of human beings and they say and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased upon those with whom his favor rests upon those who will receive undeserved favor by this divine atoning deliverer verse 15 now I actually think these next couple verses really are a Hollywood scene can you imagine the angels went away and went back into heaven can you just see the shepherds motionless mouths gaping eyes wide open not blinking about 75 seconds of breathless motionlessness and then all of a sudden chaos ensues and and garments and blankets are flying and cups and plates are being kicked over and fires are being doused and they say, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, hurry up, hurry up. We've got to go to Bethlehem. That's what the text says. Well, except for the oh my gosh part. And that's exactly what they do. They say, hurry up, let's go to Bethlehem. And they go to Bethlehem. And just as these messengers from heaven told them, they find exactly as it was said to them. And they tell everybody who was there what had happened. Verse 18, and all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. Now, the word wondered in this verse isn't like the, hmm, let me think about this. Hmm, yes, I shall contemplate these things. A lot of time in these verses, we feel like we're reading a boardroom agenda, right? It's like, yeah, this happened, and then this happened, and then this happened, and then this. And that's the exact opposite of what's happening here, right? This setting, these characters are so filled with electricity 
There's so much energy happening here. It should be that, the, that this action leaps off the page and excites our imagination to love more deeply and worship more profoundly our divine atoning deliverer. This word, wondered, is the same word that is used when the disciples see Jesus calm the storm. This is the same word that's used when Jesus withers the fig tree, when he answers publicly with wisdom public questions, when he was silent before his accusers. As people were witnessing these things, the word wondered, astonishment, is used. It's actually even the word used when the centurion at the crucifixion says, truly this is the Son of God. Same word, astonished. And here the shepherds are joyfully astonished. So I just have to ask us, this nostalgic, sweet Christmas story we hear every year, right? Makes us feel good, brings back memories. Children love it. The little plays that depict these scenes, unforgettable. But we need to ask ourselves, does the Holy Spirit strike you with astonishment when you hear this again? Do you stop and say, when I really think about what's happening in these verses, it's And I would say, regardless of where you are in life, whether you're in the night of life or enjoying the fullest of blessings, Hopefully, you'll take time and ask the Holy Spirit to fill your spirit with astonishment at how your divine atoning deliverer came into the world as the bread of heaven in a feeding trough to die for your sins that you might live with him forever. For you are not alone. Emmanuel, God is with you. And so we finish up, of course, with Mary, right? Mary kind of always puts the bow on these amazing moments. And it says in verse 19, but Mary treasured up. And then it means she kept all of these things close together. She didn't truly fully understand what was going on. She knew that this baby had been conceived by the Holy Spirit. She knew that this baby would pierce her heart and take her to the depths of human anguish in ways that she herself still didn't understand. But she's been told this is going to happen. So she holds these things close together. She treasures them up and she ponders them in her heart. In other words, she's trying to combine them. And, and what, the, what this passage is saying is that Mary is holding these things in her memory because she doesn't understand how the redemptive purposes of God are unfolding in her life. Do you? Do you fully understand? And so Mary is saying, when it's not clear, we hold these things in our memory. We try to piece them together. We try to figure out how that went with that. And that happens in our life, right? We look back over our lives and we go, oh yes, now I see why that happened. I see the Lord's purposes in that now, but it's only in retrospect, right? It's only in hindsight when the Lord's providence is so clear. But Mary teaches us to be proactive that Jesus 
has accomplished all of these things for us, that we rest in Jesus, in his atoning work, that he has done it, that he has got it, and we don't have to figure it out perfectly. We have to hold it together tightly. And so we see this passage is just really calling us not to be nostalgic and to feel these sweet Christmas feelings, but this passage is beckoning us to love Jesus Christ and cling to him tightly in the night of life and to grip the Lord by faith when we can't figure it out. And like Mary, to ponder patiently, piecing together in our memory all the ways the Lord has been faithful to you and to me. Verse 20. It all comes back around now. The highest of highs, the angels. The lowest of lows, the shepherds. And now the low is acting like the high. The shepherds start acting like angels. You and Gelian evangelists, they become evangelists. And they start, like the angels, glorifying and praising God. Verse 20, and the, angels, uh, the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen and has been told to them. And so that's our response, right? Cling tightly in the night of life. Ponder patiently all the ways in which the Lord has been faithful to us in our life. And choose in all of these things to fill our mouths with good words, with good news. Why? Because you are not alone. Emmanuel, God is with you. Let's pray. Merciful God, you sent your messengers, you sent prophets and angels to prepare the way for our salvation and you gave us the metaphors of sheep and shepherds to help us know you fully and deeply. And you gave your Son, our atoning divine deliverer, that we might know you are with us and that we are not alone. And so now, Lord, as we feast on the bread of heaven at our manger-turned-table of the Lord, we give thanks that we will worship you forever and forever and forever. And so we sing with great joy to you, our Emmanuel, God with us, to the glory of your holy name in which we pray. Amen.